Hi everybody, this is Patty Negri and welcome to the witching hour, that time of day when the veil is thin, no matter when it is, when you're listening to this podcast. I have an amazing guest for you today and so timely. I have the amazing, and I said that twice, Madam Pamita. She's a Ukrainian witch here in the Los Angeles area, but doing so much for Ukrainian witchcraft and bringing back what was lost for so many years. Um, so, but before I introduce her to you, again, such perfect timing, I thought I'd tell you about what I'm doing this week or your basic. Where's Patty? Where's Patty? Well, I am all over the place. The travel has begun. So if you're watching in the week when we first drop, which is the week of Monday, March 7th, um, where's Patty? Well, I just got back from Laguna Beach and the beautiful La Casa del Camino, a little resort, a little nice, beautiful on the beach. And I'm sure I have the very, very best time. But what I'm doing now is unpacking and packing for the UK. Yes, my big travel begins this week. I will be leaving this week on Friday for the Festival of the Unexplained at Bosworth Hall in the UK. Bosworth Hall sounds great. It's like this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of old year old manor and estate. That is also a spa. So um, I'm looking forward to ghost hunts and massages. <laughs> but no, it's a beautiful, beautiful event that lots of people are going to. So if you are on the other side of the pond, please come visit me. Come visit all these sorts of great people. I'm doing a seance, I think, on Friday night or Saturday night. I'm not sure. Um, Festival of the Unexplained. You could look it up. It's on social media. So hope to see you there. And I, I will you know, cell phone allows, I will do lives and I will check in and I will do whatever I can. Um, but see you there. Tuesday here in town, by my tomorrow or whenever you're listening to it, I've got my mediumship class, my advanced mediumship course. You can still jump in it if you want and you can get the earlier ones. And other than that, no other classes this week because I'm on a plane or appearing somewhere else. And will we have the obligatory yawn? What we're doing for the Willow Report today is we're talking about the event of the decade that's coming up. Willow's first birthday. Yep, it's only two or three weeks away. She's going to turn an entire year old. And of course, we have to have a big soiree, right, Willow? Right. We are going to have a dog party of all dog parties. I think we're going to call it Papa Palooza. Or puppy palooza what do you think um luckily in my big lucky beautiful backyard there's this beautiful little gazebo recently built because we just did father sebastian's wedding back there we're going to cover it up with dog material we're going to get her a beautiful dog friendly cake from the dog bakery and farmer's market in los angeles they make beautiful beautiful custom dog birthday and anniversary cakes um It'll be her first and her first birthday. We did this for years for her predecessor, for my Dora. Um, and it's so cute. You put, you cut, just picture this. 20 people, 30 dogs running around a huge, free, wild backyard. And then it's time for the cake. Ah, and we, of course, we have puppy prizes and milk bones. For the cake, the dog-friendly cake, we slice it in little slices. We put it on little birthday paper cakes, paper plates, and we give it to the dog's keeper, the dog's parents, 
and they get in a great big circle with their dog and all at the very same time all their mommies and daddies set the little slice of cake on the little thing down on the floor and there you see these 20 or 30 dogs eating cake together in a birthday circle all around the willow it's really cute just like kids just like people you see the piggy dogs you see the ones that mm, i'm not sure about this the ones that lightly nibble at the cake the ones that hound the cake and take the cake next door but of all the years i've done this with my other pup we've never had an issue we've never had a problem never had a dog fight because who doesn't like a birthday party so anyway that's gonna be on the 18th or the 19th. So if you have any good puppy party ideas, I'd like to hear them. You could put it on social media, you could put it on my YouTube, on my Facebook, my Instagram. Um, I'm up for something new. So any good puppy party ideas, because we want it to be a big puppy palooza for Willow's first birthday. That's it, we're going into planning mode. That's the Willow report. Look at the camera, Willow. Look at the camera. Acting lessons for her birthday. So I guess it's time for magic. I thought because of the kind of crazy place the whole world is in right now with Ukraine and still the pandemic rages on, I'd bring something really light to us. Fairy magic. Fairy magic. Now, I'm gonna give you my very simple and oversimplified perspective on it. And if you talk to 12 different people, you are of course gonna get 12 different versions of what fairies and fairy magic are. But I'm gonna to go to the simplest, bring them into your life way. Cause it is a witchcraft path in itself. There's, you know, the dearest friend of mine and he's been on the show. And if you really wanna get into fairy magic in a, in a magical way deep, Orion Foxwood. He's got a fairy seer school. He's got beautiful books on, on fairy magic and the fairy path. But for me, I'm just saying, bring a little fairy into your life. Um, again, whether you believe they're little Tinkerbell things with wings and little people that fly around on your flowers or the energy of fairy, it doesn't matter. Fairies bring levity and lightness and laughter and joy into your life. And, and who doesn't need a little bit of that right now? So how do you bring in fairies, you say? Well, actually, they like greenery a lot. <laughs> so if you have any kind, if you're lucky enough to have a yard or a garden or even a little patio, and even if you don't have a little patio, a yard, or a put a little potted plant in your little kitchen window on the inside. Invite the fairies in. Fairies like shiny things. They like marbles and crystals and glitter of every kind. They like garden balls and statues. I mean. I drive by all the time. How many people have little fairy statues out front? I do. Well, actually out back. Um, it brings this magic. And when you start inviting the energy of fairy or the fae themselves into your yard, your flowers will flourish. You will bring in more butterflies. You will bring in more dragonflies. You will bring in more hummingbirds. It's kind of amazing how they work. So how do you see fairies, you say? Well, Fairies live at the edge. They're very tricky. They're tricky, tricky, tricky. Um, you gotta be careful in working them. And, and you could read a billion scary warning stories about fairies, about the fae. But basically, they're just magical party little things. Um, but they live at the edge. The edge of day, 
the edge of night. So sunrise, sunset, go out into your garden or to a park, walk down the street. Look at the sparkle in the trees. They live at the edge. They live at the edge of the path. They live at the edge of the garden, the edge of the forest. So edge of day, edge of night, edge of the path, edge of the pond, edge of wherever, because they're that kind of little crossroads fairy magic. Um, so invite them into your yard. If you want to give them a little tiny fairy statue, great. They're so magical. Um, they make wishes. They do great things. A few years back, my husband and I, their day, by the way, is May 1st, Beltane, which is the opposite of Halloween, six months away, when the veil is very thin because it's celebrating the death. This, it's May 1st. The veil is thin because the fairies are holding it up, not a bunch of scary ghosts and things. The fairies are holding up. So we celebrate with maypole dancing and flowers and may flowers that we bring. Um, it's it's a time of celebration. We, we made it through the winter if we go back into the old ways of stuff. Spring has come. There's life. There's food. Um, so the night before, when the veil is very thin, my husband and I, the drummer, he's not an overly spiritual guy, but he kind of gets what I do. We went down deep into my yard and I had these little cups. They had like six little containers, like six little wells. And in each of the, the shape of a daisy, how fairy perfect. So I decided, or we decided we'd make a wish with each of these six little cups. So with each wish, we gave them an offering of dark, beautiful honey and white cream. So we poured a little honey and cream and kind of mixed up and made this beautiful cappuccino-y like mixture in these six little holes in the beautiful fairy. And with each one, it was like world peace or a new car or whatever it was. We made these wishes for the fae. And so we left it there deep in the yard on the little table. Nobody knew it was there. Nobody would have came as an offering. Um, we went upstairs. First thing next morning, I go down. I wanted to see if the fairies drank all the, the milk and the cream. Typical fairy. They separated the milk and cream. Now, three of the little containers had only honey. It was dark. It was the dark honey color. Three had only cream. It was pure white again. I don't know how they did it, but it seems like such a fairy thing to do next time I guess I will keep them in separate things but it showed that they they took them they played with them they take took the gift and then did the fairy thing that they would do with them um, listen for the magic listen for the laughter that they bring the music that they'll bring into your life now sort of like kids they can get a little rambunctious and they can get a little overzealous sometimes and because they do like shiny shiny things they might steal your earrings or your keys and your little necklace. And you're probably sitting there going, that's what happened. Yep, the Fae took it. But they'll give them back almost always. What you have to do is bribe them. <laughs> Who's above bribing? Um, again, offer them some honey, some cream, some whiskey perhaps, a, a little thing of marbles or some glitter or some rhinestones or some sequins. Um, just say, if you give me back my earrings, well, here's for this. Here's an offering for you now. And amazingly, pretty much every time, you will find that missing keys, earrings, whatever, and the exact place you thought you left it, but the exact place you looked 15 times and it wasn't there. And now it's there. Or you're going to find it in a place that you would absolutely never have put it. Like, why are my earrings in my sock? That's the fae, but bring them into your life. If you want more levity, if you want more laughter, 
And speaking of laughter, you guys, that is the most protective, most healing, most magical thing that we, these little human bodies can do. Laugh. Laugh when you're sad. Laugh when you're down. Laugh when you make a fool of yourself. Laugh when you're scared. Because there's actually magic behind the magic. Ha, ha, ha. When you've heard me talk about before the importance of breath. The breath coming out is our life force. It's our pneuma. The moisture in our breath is our free will. And the vowel that you kind of get with a laugh, ha, 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 whatever that is, he, 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 is a vowel. That's the, that's the opening up of your whole thought pattern. It's what all sacred words are vowels, like amen and om and hey, uh, hi, oh, uh, So laugh and bring in the fae. It's a rough world. It's a scary world, but we're going to get through it. So why not a little winged magic to make it a lot much easier? And today I am so excited to have somebody I've wanted to meet for a long time. It's like we've stood next to each other literally from on Yelp pages to practically within the city. So let me introduce you to Madam Pamita. Madam Pamita is Ukrainian diaspora witch, teacher, author, candle maker, spellcaster, and tarot reader. She has a popular YouTube channel for teaching witchcraft. She hosts the Magic and the Law of Attraction podcast, and she's the author of the book Candle Magic and a brand new book, Madam Pamita's Magical Tarot and Baba Yaba's Book of Witchcraft. 2022. So without me talking anymore, let me introduce you directly. Welcome, Madam Pamita. Oh, thank you so much, Patty. It is so exciting to be here with you. I, listen, you're a big famous witch and I'd love to be here <laughs> hanging out I, with witches anyway. And to be hanging out with you is amazing. So thank you thank so you. much. And as are you. So I'm excited for this because, um, again, number one, timing is everything. And we know now Ukraine is going through some stuff right now. We're taping this a week or so beforehand, but just keep our thoughts and prayers and magic going out for the Ukraine, whatever that is. Um, but you are a Ukrainian witch and getting into that. How, how is this working for you? How are you bringing your magic into with the situation or... Oh my gosh. Well, I'm doing a whole lot of calling in of all the mother goddesses. There's a ton of mother goddesses and I go really, really back to, I, I would say I'm an animist if you want to go into like deep spiritual practice. So an animist is someone who sees uh, life force and everything and, you know, connects to nature and connects to animals and connects to the really old gods and goddesses. And so I'm calling on all the mother goddesses from Ukraine, Berehinia, Mokash, uh, Baba Yaha, which is Baba Yaga in Ukrainian, and um, calling up all the old, you know, just the, the mothers and the grandmothers to protect and heal the situation. It's like, it's, it's really, I mean, I'm kind of a mess, <laughs> to be honest with you right now, because I'm so worried. I've got friends I'm over sure. there and, and everything, but um, I'm doing what I can to raise funds for humanitarian aid. And I'm doing, of course, man magic and I'm lighting candles like crazy and calling in all the goddesses. So I'm doing both practical things and spiritual things to help um, protect the people there. So that is beautiful. And before we end this podcast, I want you to tell people anything if they want to help what they can do as well as how they're going to get a hold of you is how they can help this, again, very current world situation. Um, I am excited to have you again. I've known about you forever and I know how experienced and how ed how magical you are. And I but I know nothing about Ukrainian magic, Slavic magic. And I know from you said it's, it's different than other forms. So 
what is even Baba Yaga or however you probably say it? <laughs> yeah, Baba Yaga is what we say in English because that's really the actually the Russian pronunciation, but that's the pronunciation that was sort of spread all over. So people will know her as Baba Yaga, but or Baba Yaga, but in in Ukrainian it's Baba Yaha. It's just a different sort of sound to that that second syllable of Yaga or Yaha. Um, so she is the fairy tale witch in a lot of stories. The closest thing that we have knowing her really in our sort of Western European culture would be like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. So, you know, in Hansel and Gretel, the little kids go to the witch and she's going to put them in the oven and eat them. And in some stories of Baba Yaha, she shows up as that kind of ogre who's going to eat the hero or the heroine that comes around. But that seems to be a more recent, if you, you know, in the scholarly research on her, that seems to be a more recent phenomenon that is uh, kind of a twisting, as we know, you know, what happens is Christianity and other sort of dominant religions come in and they take all the old gods and they say, oh, they're all evil. They're the devil. Pan is the devil, right? You, yeah. you know, he's got horns and hoofs. He's the devil. And so we're going to make our devil look like Pan. So now you won't worship Pan anymore. Yeah. So the same, so the same thing happened in Slavic countries and the old gods and the old spirits. I mean, it was even older than the gods are the spirits. And there was a spirit called the forest grandmother or the forest mother and the forest grandmother or the forest mother was the keeper of the forest and the protector of the forest. So she was aligned with all the animals. She would um, protect the people who honored her as they came into the forest. You would leave offerings for the forest mother and ask for her protection when you went into this dangerous liminal place, which was the forest. Of course, then dominant religions came along and said, oh, that old spirit that you believe in is evil. It's wrong. We want you to believe in our God. And so then she became entails more like this ogre. Now, that's not to say that she's like um, Glinda the Good Witch. She's definitely ambiguous and definitely... Um, tricky, but it's just like nature. Nature can be so infinitely beautiful, but nature can also be really dangerous. And you have to come in with honor and respect of nature. You and I, Patty, growing up in Southern California, we have been out in the ocean a few times. And you know, it's like you have to approach the ocean with respect. If you see giant waves, it's not a good time for you to go unless you're super experienced to go out in the water. If you do that, if you go out when there's giant waves, you could drown. It's that disregard or disrespect of nature that can get you in the end. And so Baba Yaha, as this, as this forest witch, she became a witch, but this forest spirit, um, was about showing respect to nature and honoring nature. And so, um, you know, when people became distant from nature, these dominant religions came in, she became a, a demon, an ogre. So now there's a whole bunch more to her, of course. She's the keeper of the of the realm of the spirit. So there's definitely this idea that she moves in between the spirit realm or the lower world and the and the middle world where we live and um, has this connection to death and the spirit realm. But it's not like she's a vicious ogre that's trying to, you know, kill you. So that's sort of bad propaganda that was put out there in later years. Yeah. That's amazing. 
amazing. And again, she sounds beautiful. And yes, they vilify everything, but yeah. Moses had horns. <laughs> and excuse me, my dog is barking in the background. We'll just hope that stops. <laughs> Haven't figured out that powerful of magic yet to stop a dog's. <laughs> um, so tell us, so you're, I know you make candles. So tell us a little bit about your candle magic or Ukrainian candle magic, if that's different of sorts. Well, one of the things that's really um, in Ukrainian magic, there's definitely in Slavic magic and in particular in Ukrainian magic, a great love of beeswax and bees are being, uh, being seen as really, um, they would say like messengers, divine messengers, right? And um, in a sort of traditional in a traditional way, there would be like the old men, it was generally men that were called the um, beekeeper magicians in Ukrainian culture. And they had their own spiritual practices where they would whisper to the bees and they would, um, you know, call forth the bees and protect the bees and do all these, I mean, magical things around beekeeping and bees. Beeswax as a medium was seen as a very valuable, it is a very valuable medium, but there was an honor and a respect for it as like so much work, you know, bees have to make just to make one ounce of beeswax, a group of bees have to make a million trips to flowers over time to make just one ounce of beeswax. So bees don't produce a lot of beeswax, but together collectively, they can produce enough to, you know, for their hive and to collect honey and store the little larva and all that. So beeswax was seen as a real magical medium. And so the candles that I make are beeswax candles, which have not only the power of a candle for candle magic, you know, which is amazing. Candle magic is one of my favorite forms of magic, but um, it also has the power of the bees in it, which is extra, mm -hmm. extra juicy, <laughs> I think, you know. I love that. And I love bees. <laughs> and I, at beeswax candles, I had a, a little hive showed up in my house in an inappropriate place and I got the right beekeeper to get it. So it loves a couple blocks open and somebody who knows how to professionally keep bees. And, and especially now, because we've had some bee issues on the planet and things. So, yeah. ah, um, Beeswax, by the way, is um, beekeepers when they're harvesting beeswax are really protective of the bees and beeswax supports beekeepers who are protecting the bees. So beeswax is actually a great way to support, you know, buying beeswax products is a great way to support beekeepers who support our bees. So, yeah. That is beautiful. Um, so what are the, some of the differences? Again, I've just, I'm so new to Ukrainian magic. At, at, at all. So what are some of the things like they, that, that maybe differ from regular old, what we know in US practice, which I know we're all different. Are you Wiccan? Are you, are you this? Are you that? But um, you seem very practical and hands-on and. Yeah, well, there's definitely, I mean, if you start to research, that's a very interesting thing. You're not alone in not knowing much about Slavic magic because you have to understand that for 80 some years, all religion was suppressed in the Soviet Union. Atheism was the religion. And so many of the practices that were magical practices became sort of enfolded into Christianity. And so when the official state religion of atheism came in, they really suppressed and actually punished people for practicing anything religious. So it was only the diaspora Ukrainians who left who were able to keep these alive, these practices alive, or people who were super out, either so remote that they weren't being touched by Soviet, you know, uh, officials, 
or people practicing really secretively. It was a really hard thing for me to find some of this stuff. Now, my grandmother practiced um, magic. She was magic. And my mom would tell me stories. She died before I was born. She died when my mom was in her 20s. And so my mom would tell me stories about my grandmother, but there were, you know, they, she didn't practice. She would tell me stories about my grandmother practicing, but she kind of didn't understand the context for things. So like when I was little, she would say things like your grandmother used to do this um, fortune telling healing where she would hold a bowl of water over someone's head and pour beeswax into the water. And I'm like, is she doing like a wax reading or is she doing some kind of, you know, I couldn't figure out what it was. And this is all, of course, pre-internet, you know, I'm 57. So I'm way, you know, when I was studying magic, I found a Sybil Leak book in my Lincoln Junior High School library. And that was my first introduction of, you know, witchcraft and magic. What, you know, I can remember pre-internet, there wasn't a lot out there. You really had to work so hard to seek it out, you know? And so um, in, you know, in hearing these stories from my mother and the little practices that we did, definitely there were little practices, but I'd hear stories about my grandmother doing these things. She'd make a poppet and use it to heal my mom when she was a little girl, or she would do this wax, wax thing. And I'm like, what is this stuff? What is this stuff? Well, um, I found a book called The Word in the Wax, which is about Ukrainian wax pouring healing. And I go, that's what it was. And once I found that book, it was like the, um, I don't know, the key to the cave of wonders in Aladdin. I like opened up everything for me because once I found that piece of information, I was doing all my diligent detective work and found more and more and more and more. But it was like that one little piece was the thing that got me there because then I was seeing that my grandmother, what my grandmother was doing. So it's kind of like... Um, the wax pouring thing is like a healing thing. It's not a, it's a fortune telling thing sort of, but it's a healing thing where you're cutting off like a curse or negativity, much like an egg cleanse in which egg cleansing is also done in Ukraine as well. So if you ever experience like a curandurismo, egg cleansing or anything like that, there's a, there's definitely a relation between those two. And so this, this, you know, when I started to discover this, I had to dig so deep to find this information because some of it was brought from the old country over here and I could find some stuff in English. And then I had to learn Ukrainian, which I didn't know at all <laughs> to like be able to then go in and translate some things and find things and do that. So it was like a very sort of hidden magic because of 80 years, like you could find stuff from the 1800s and then there's 80 years of nothing. And then in the last 30 years, you could find some more stuff too. But it was, it was, a, it was a task worthy of Baba Yaga who does things like set you up to like separate the poppy seeds from the wheat kernels in this mountain. And you have one day to do it like Ruffle Stiltskin, right? So, <laughs> so it was a really tough task to find the information. But then once I found it, I incorporated it in the book and, um, there's lots of beautiful practices, embroidery, weaving and spinning, eggs, magical talismanic eggs. I mean, there's so many cool and unusual things in Ukrainian magic that are different than a lot of the other practices. Yeah, that's what I was going to actually ask you next, because again, I don't have your book yet. Sadly, I cannot wait. But you, you it talks about, you know, weaving and things like that. So that's part of magical practice. Yeah. So, so understanding that weaving 
I mean, you can see it in so many cultures. Ukrainian culture is not the only one that has like weaving and magic being put together. So many of the practices that are old, magical, spiritual practices go back to prehistoric times, really to prehistoric times, where weaving was seen as an act of destruction and creation. You're destroying, let's say, the wool. I mean, you're just taking the wool off the sheep, which is an act of destruction. But then you're you're using your own magic to turn it into thread that which then can be made into cloth, which can then be made into clothing to protect you. So it's like that idea that there's destruction and creation in magic. You're destroying a candle to do a spell. You burn the candle, right? So it's yeah. that whole process. We see that in the three fates in Greek mythology. So the fates would spin, measure, and cut the thread. And that was seen as like the thread of life. So weaving magic exists in every culture. It's definitely got its own flavor in Slavic magic and in Ukrainian magic, but it's it's something that we see in a lot of cultures. One thing that's really interesting, are you into like Celtic magic at all? Or do you yes, know? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So Celtic. I study a little bit of everything except Ukrainian. Because there's so, nothing so to go. study. There was nothing out there to see. <laughs> so you weren't to be blamed because even I, who was searching really diligently, had a hard time finding stuff. So um, in Celtic, so Celtic, the Druids, right? The Druid practices, the Druids were the priests of the Celt, the ancient Celts. The Celts came from Central Europe. They didn't start in Ireland and Scotland. They came from Central Europe and migrated there. And the most fascinating thing is that we find that common denominator of the Druid practices showing up in Slavic magic and showing up in Celtic magic. And so when you start to see these connections, the little bit that we know about Druidry and we know about Celtic magic, because there isn't a lot because it wasn't written down except by the Romans, right? Right. The same thing we find in Slavic magic, we get it wasn't written down and it was translated and talked about by Greeks and, and, and Greek Orthodox Christians and so on. So there were outsiders talking about these practices just like in the Druid practices, but we can see commonalities, worshiping oak trees, creating temples under in oak groves and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of commonality there. So it's fascinating. The deeper you get into it, it's like a rabbit hole. I never want to get out of actually, you know? Um, yeah, that sounds beautiful. So how do you bring, um, again, my show is kind of like everybody about living your life now, empowering your life is, um, what are some practices that you do? Like just to make getting through life in 2022, whether it's magical practices, whether it's ritual practices, or do you get real elemental? Do you get more deity based? I mean, what are some of the people can go, wow, I can do that and my life could be better. Oh my gosh. Well, the, one of the things that I've been relying on, so I've been super stressed about what's happening in Ukraine right now and really feeling like as many people do feeling really helpless. What can I do? You know, so I'm doing my mobilization and I'm doing things to help in humanitarian ways and sending money and raising funds and all of that stuff. I think that's part of practical um you know, practical witchcraft is doing doing things to go along with your magic. Like, what's the point in doing a spell to get a job if you're not putting out resumes, right? You got to do both. <laughs> you know, one, one helps to clear the path and the other is like the path that you have to walk. So one of the things that I've been finding that's really helping me is um, in Ukrainian spiritual practice, going back again to ancient, ancient times, embroidery 
was seen as a way to create talismans. So if you look at what I'm wearing right now, this kind of blouse, this is actually a machine sewn one that's a modern one, but I have antique ones that are hand sewn, hand embroidered. This that's is a beautiful, it's a, um, a blouse that's called a Vishivanka. So Vishivanka means embroidery. So an embroidered blouse, but the symbols on the blouse are actually talismanic symbols. They're symbols, they're sigils, they're things that are there to make protection or abundance and so on. So you can actually look at a, at a, at a embroidered blouse and kind of read it like hieroglyphics almost. So what I have been finding is that I feel like all this pent up empathy for, you know, people in Ukraine and feeling this helplessness that I can't do something. So I've been embroidering as a meditation mm -hmm. tool, embroidering protective talismans for people in not, not sending them there, just embroidering them to send that energy out. So embroidery can be a beautiful way to do meditation and also create magical talismans. Now it doesn't have to be for people across the world. That's what I'm doing. It can be for yourself. You can embroider magical clothing for yourself with protective talismans on it. You know, it's a beautiful way to sort of have that practical thing, but it helps me to be meditative. Like I need something with my hands to meditate. I can't sit there and some people can do that. I can't do that where you no, sit. I'm quiet. not either. <laughs> so I've that, been doing that embroidery. So. That is beautiful. And that, I mean, the blouse is beautiful. And I just, I'm lately I'm doing this thing like light bulb moment. How precious. I mean, I work with a lot of sigils and symbolism. I, I love the power in them and they're creating them. But, and you know, if you've got your pentacle t-shirt or your whatever that, but that is gorgeous. And to see what you have there, I would never have thought of that to do that as a magical practice and the, the magic you're putting into each stitch. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's amazing. Cross stitch, um, older, older embroidery and Ukrainian embroidery was not cross stitch, but in the 1800s cross stitch became very popular. And so many of the Vishivanki that you can get now, even the antique ones are cross stitch, but the cross, the X cross, not a Christian cross, the X cross is mm -hmm. a symbol of protection. That equal armed cross in many cultures is a symbol of protection. So each little stitch you make is like a symbol of protection that you're putting on your own clothing or some talisman that you're making and so on. There's another thing that's completely, again, talismanic, but is very unique to Ukraine, which is something called pesanki, which is these talismanic eggs. Now the eggs, even all scholars will say that the eggs existed long before Christianity came on the scene in 988 AD is when Christianity became the official religion and they tried to convert everyone and all that. But the eggs as a magical talisman existed for thousands of years before that. And so in Ukrainian practice, we, we have Easter eggs that we dye just one color. Those are called krashanki. But um, pesanki are, are written on, they call it writing on it, pesanki. Pestari is to write, right? You're creating symbols on your eggs and you're using beeswax to create these symbols. And then you're doing like a batik dyeing thing on these eggs and they come out absolutely gorgeous beautiful and it's a talisman as a simple thing an egg as a powerful talisman the egg itself is really powerful you know it's like seen as this very um, powerful symbol of the sun of that yellow yolk is like the sun but these magical eggs 
So going back to our magician beekeepers, they would put one of these decorated eggs under the beehive to protect the bees and bless the bees. I mean, that's an example. You keep them in your home, that you give them to your friends and family and so on. So if you look up Pisanki, it's spelled P-Y-S-A-N-K-Y. And I have a chapter about it in my book, but um, it's you'll see these gorgeous eggs and they're they're not Easter eggs. They're pre-Christian. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. And we know how protective, how magical eggs are and cleansing and protection. And then you've just added the beeswax into it and to the symbols and sigils. So now would you, now is part of the magic making those? What if you're the non-crafty type like some of us? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's a very forgiving kind of medium. And even if you, I mean, if you look at like, I mean, you can see absolutely gorgeous ones that have microscopic, beautiful filigree. I mean, there's some amazing ones, but you know, like if you watch the old grandmas doing it, the old babas, the babusia, you know, she's doing it right. She's drawing things and she's not getting too fussy about it. Right. And so you can create some gorgeous ones and I have, I mean, I'm teaching a class in it later on Ooh. as we get closer to Easter. I've got tons of workshops and I'm teaching all kinds of Slavic magic things and other kinds of magic things. But um, I have a little kit with the dyes in it. Anybody can really do it. Little kids can do it. So even if you're not quote unquote crafty, you can still do it. I mean, if you wanted to cheat, you could take a marker and do it, I guess. But, <laughs> but it's the whole process of doing the wax and the batik. It's really super meditative and very satisfying. And one of the things that's interesting and unique in the creation of these things, whether it's embroidery or an egg or a flower crown, which is another whole amazing Ukrainian practice is creating flower crowns out of special herbs and, and using them on the summer solstice and so on. But when you create these things, there's always an admonition that you have to be in a state of mind that you want to empower into these things. So you would never create something without being peaceful. If you were angry or upset or sad, it's not the time to make that because you're going to encode that energy into the magical artifact. And I think that that's interesting because I never really thought about that in my magical practice before I started uncovering these things, that your state of mind gets locked into what you're creating. So they always say like, come with like a peaceful heart, come with like good feelings and good emotions before you start working on these things, because you're going to empower these things with your energy. That, if that's not magic, I don't know what it is. Yeah, no, that's pure magic. And I do that again. I'm not crafty and I'm not even a cook, but I teach that into it's same thing with your food, what you put into your food don't put your anger into your kids oatmeal, you know, it's, oh, so yeah. is, 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 is cooking and food stuff part of, of Ukrainian magic too? Oh my gosh. A huge, huge part. So when I was growing up, my mom, um, would make, oh my gosh, my mom was amazing. She was an amazing mom in all levels. I mean, she would teach me little magical things, but it was Catholic magic. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, let's tack Mary on there. Now it's, it's okay to do that. <laughs> right. right. So, um, one of the things that she used to do is when we'd have like get togethers with the family or friends, she would make like a massive, like, you know, groaning table buffet for like, we'd always laugh and we'd go, mom, we got five people over here and you made enough food for 50 people. <laughs> and I thought that was just like my mom's quirk, but it turns out it's a totally Ukrainian thing. It's like abundance and, and always hospitality, always being hospitable, always offering people food and drink and a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and coffee cake or something when they come over. 
So when I discovered that, that that was like this cultural thing, well, food is huge in Ukraine in terms of magic. I mean, there's all kinds of magical foods, poppy seeds, bread is huge. Like if you look and watch, um, there's lots of videos of people presenting a loaf of bread to a guest in the top of that loaf of bread is a little bit of salt, a little dish Mm. of salt. And they're meant to take off a piece of the bread, dip it in the salt and then eat it. Salt was really rare and expensive back in the old days. So when we think about, you know, giving someone salt, it was like giving someone gold, you know, giving something really like the best that you had. And the bread was like to sustain you, but the salt was like the flavor and the um, honor that you would show the guest, right? We also know that salt as a magical tool is like an amazing magical tool for cleansing, clearing, cutting energy, protection, and all of those things. Lots of salt spells. So we have food in magic, in Ukrainian magic, food is huge. And there's magical foods, mushrooms, uh, garlic, uh, bread, salt, eggs, all of these things are, you know, they're the common people's foods. They're what we all share, but they can be imbued and are seen as magical and can be blessed and of course empowered with our magic. Just like a magic potion. What's a magic potion? Mm -hmm. We put in herbs that are definitely supporting our magic, but it's our energy that we put into it, right? Like we bless it or we, and then we drink it, right? That's what- 100%. Yeah. So- so that's how, how food is. Food and drink are really seen as very, very magical and a really big part of Ukrainian old traditional spirituality. Yeah. That is beautiful. So is your, is your spell working? Is it, is it very elemental and stuff? Do you work with the air and fire and water and earth? Do you get very elemental in how you do things? Yes. And, the, and it's interesting because the, the elements are seen as, like, I think that a lot of times we look at like mother earth and we, or mother nature, right. And we picture her, if you remember back in the old days, it's not nice to fool mother nature. Right? I there love that commercial. commercial. <laughs> so um, in that commercial, there was a woman walking around and she had flowers on and she was all drapey and looking beautiful. But actually the element of earth is seen as the mother, like the earth is seen as the mother. And so there's so many beautiful spells and I have a whole chapter on earth spells um, where the earth is seen as your mother. And so if you were leaving your homeland and going somewhere else, you would take a piece of the earth with you to protect you of your homeland. Likewise, when you came back, you would kiss the earth because this is your mother. Your This is your family. This is the thing that sustains you and gives life. I mean, it was seen with such honor she was really honored as a god or a goddess you know but it's not a goddess that looks like a human it's the actual earth is the goddess fire on the other hand was seen as the realm of the ancestors and so anytime you see fire in a story so like in the stories where baba yaga um tries to shove the kids in the fire she's actually sending them to the realm of the spirits or to the realm of the ancestors So fire is also seen as living fire. And there's a whole concept that fire that's made by not with a match, but made from scratch, either by rubbing sticks together or with a flint is seen as living fire and living fire is magical fire. So it's an elemental tool, but it also has a life to it and a, um, a deity aspect to it. You know, this is like, 
uh, a very interesting thing. Same thing with water, same thing with air. So their elements are there, but they're seen as like living entities almost uh, with personalities even, I would say. And you would connect to them in a more heart to heart way, not in a way of like, oh, this is my tool and I'm going to use it. Right. So I love that, actually. I, I, and I bring the energy of things in, into it, but to have Mother Earth just be Mother Earth, that is is great. Now, does that getting into, okay, so Earth is Mother Earth, and th- do you guys have, like, getting into trees and, you know. Oh, my your, gosh. Your <laughs> you're touching on you everything. Yeah, you're yeah, touching on well, everything. <laughs> it's perfect. I love it. Well, Patty, you're just, you are very psychic because you're just like following the thread and like, okay, let's ask about that. And I'm like, yeah. There's the book I don't have. <laughs> exactly. So as we get into trees, um, a modern day practice that really goes back to really the druidic practices is called dendrotherapy. Tree hugging, basically. If you want to look at it, it's just basic tree hugging. So dendrotherapy is the belief that the trees can there's two types of trees actually, which is a fascinating thing. So I'm a tree hugger. I love trees and I, I see trees as sentient beings. You do too, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So um, as I look at them, I feel like they're sentinels. They watch everything. They stay in one place. Plant consciousness is different than human consciousness. And as you get into plant consciousness, you can really expand your mind, right? Like plants. Oh my gosh, plants. Let me go into this topic, but plants, have to stay in the ground and survive without being able to run away. So if a deer comes along, it can't run. So the plant's method of survival is that you can take away 90% of most plants and the plant will survive, right? So it's not like us, like if we lose our head, that's it. It's all over for us. A plant can actually give and give a substantial amount, although I wouldn't recommend picking 90% of a plant, but it can survive even with loss of a branch or a leaf or fruit or whatever. So plant consciousness is different. It's less possessive than human or animal consciousness. Trees stay there and they see or sense everything. And science has shown this, that trees do have a consciousness. They connect to one another. They communicate with one another. They help one another. They use the um, uh, fungus uh, as a sort of connection between to send messages to other trees. So if there's a problem over here with this tree, the other trees will get that message and they will support the tree. We see that with even with trees that have been chopped down and the other trees send nutrients to that tree so that it can sprout a new leaf so that it can go through the photosynthesis process, right? It can't do it without photosynthesis and other trees will help it. So trees are very communal and they have a consciousness. Trees, this is the thing that I found fascinating. In dendrotherapy, there are what are called donor trees and vampire trees. Now, vampire trees doesn't have the connotation like vampire does for us, but I love that the word vampire was in there because I, I think it's kind of fun, <laughs> to be honest. I, I, I'm part of the, I get the, all that. That's my world. So, okay. We're <laughs> so there's donor trees and vampire trees. The donor trees are there to give you energy. So if you feel depleted or you're feeling like, oh, I have no energy, the, the donor trees will refill your tank. The vampire trees are not taking away your life force. They are taking away what no longer serves you. If you are overwrought, if you are overexcited, if you are having inflammation, 
anything that's too much of something, a vampire treat will bring back that balance and take away that inflammation in physical, your physical body or your anxiety, something that I struggle with. They'll take it away so that you're calm. So the vampire trees are great. So vampires, you know, is a funny term, but I loved it. So I kept it in the book when it was that translation. No, I I love that. And again, I am part of a very much vampire culture and it's not what people think. It's not what Hollywood made it. And again, it's it's life force and it's exactly what you're saying. So I'm going to adopt and borrow. I can't wait to give vampire like in the Ukrainian trees, you know, that's exactly our culture that we work at least with vampires I know and hang with. Um, that is beautiful. So do you guys, okay, so you're in trees and nature and your herbs and your oils and your food. Do you guys get into like moon work like us too, the difference in the phases of the moon? Is that part of your? Well, that's part of my practice because I'm a, I'm a cancer. So of course, moon has been my mama. I remember my very first, I was 10 years old and I read somewhere. I mean, God, there was nothing out there. It was 1974. There was nothing out there about witchcraft, but I read somewhere that witches spin around three times and bow to the full moon. And so I would go out in my backyard and I would spin three times and bow to the moon. Like I was already consecrating myself, which is so funny at 10 years old, you know, I was getting the tarot cards. My mom bought me a tarot deck. I was trying with no information out there to be a witch. (laughs) But, um, but I have a moon practice. There is some moon work, but it's not so centered in the moon. So a lot of times, um, there will be things like go to the crossroads. The crossroads is a liminal space. Liminal space mm-hmm. is space where anything can happen, right? So it's yes. dangerous, but also great for magic, right? Because you open up, it's like a doorway between the realms. The crossroads is very much seen as that liminal space where you can do your magical practices, whether it's divination, mm-hmm. connecting with spirits, doing a spell and so on. So I have a whole thing about the crossroads. And in some of those crossroads spells, they're like, go during a full moon or go for a full moon cycle and do that. But I don't have a chapter about moon work. Maybe that's for book two, the follow-up. Book two, I can't. That's right, book two. Um, Oh my God, I am so intrigued with all this. I really can't wait to get your book. I will tell everybody, you guys have to get this because I just see your energy, how how bright and brilliant and full of life and and magic and um uh, i just you're gonna have to have you back when i have your book (laughs) so tell everybody um time just flies i will have to have you back but tell everybody both where they can get your book where they can find you because you teach you have youtube tell them everything and also again if they're going on with this ukrainian thing what's some of the stuff they can do oh my gosh well okay so first of all i have this is my third big book that I'm making. So um, it's called Baba Yaga's Book of Witchcraft. It's available for pre-order and all the usual places. But what I'm encouraging people to do is to take a little bit of extra effort and contact your local mom and pop metaphysical store or your local witchy store or your local bookstore even. These little mom and pop mm-hmm. shops need us. They really need us. And we bookstores are so important. So, and metaphysical stores are so important. And so yes. by pre-ordering it there, you you kind of triple your karma. Number one, you're going to get a great book. I can guarantee you that. Number two, you're helping the mom and pop shop. And number three, you're helping me as the author because I know from running a shop and you know, it's like, 
when somebody orders a book, you're like, oh, I didn't even know that book was there. Let me order one for the mm-hmm. shop too. So they'll often order two or three for your one pre-order. So it, if you can make that little extra effort to help support our mom and pop shops, it makes a huge impact. And I always think, how can we impact the world in a positive way with our actions and our money? You know, what can we do? So that's, it doesn't, you know, yeah, you're going to save a little bit, maybe a buck on Amazon, but this extra dollar really helps. You know, I think Jeff Bezos has enough money. Support your mom and pop shop. So you can get it all the places. Exactly. (laughs) Um, It's going to be available, uh, uh, not August, April 8th is when it officially comes out. I'm doing a special thing. It is going to be up. By the time this comes out, it'll be up on my website. Um, I'm going to have a free intro well i'm gonna have a vip intro to slavic magic workshop that is only for people that pre-order the book and i will have a page up on my website that you can pre-order you can order the book wherever and then fill out this form just say what your receipt number and where you ordered it from and then you'll be registered you'll get the registration for the free class which is an amazing workshop that'll give you a whole intro to slavic magic so that's Wherever you order it, mom and pop shop, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, wherever, you can even order it from me. But wherever you pre-order it, you can get that free workshop and celebrate the release of the book, which is going to be fun. I have two other books that are out now. One is called Madame Pamita's Magical Tarot. And the other one is the Book of Candle Magic. And both of these books, if you're interested in tarot or if you're interested in candle magic, take you from very baby step beginner to advanced. So if you mm. want to, um, it, you know, develop your practice or have, um, you know, want to get started with this, or maybe, you know, a little bit and you want to know more, both these books will be helpful. One in tarot, one in candle magic. Lastly, they can find me online at parlorofwonders.com. It's spelled P-A-R-L-O-U-R.com, parlorofwonders.com. And I've got lots of free resources there. I have a free Q&A every Sunday that we talk about a magical topic. I have a podcast, as you mentioned, called Magic in the Law of Attraction. I've got a new podcast called Baba Yaga's Magic. So lots and lots of resources there. So yeah. And can they find that, that from your website? Can they get to everything from your website? Or yes, I've so many things. If they go to parlorofwonders.com, you'll look under learn. That's where all the free information is blog posts, articles, videos, um, workshops, paid workshops, free workshops, all kinds of things. You can find it all there at Parlor of Wonders under the learn tab. So I'm going there now. So (laughs) thank you so much, Madam Pamina. Again, honor and joy to finally meet you. I cannot wait to get your book. Everybody get her book, go to Parlor of Wonders, get her book, Baba Yaga, we've got a new deity. We've got this new thing. Let's check it out. So thank you, our best and magic to the Ukraine right now. You guys do what you can do, whatever that be, from your own personal energy to help if you can financially. And this is what we do. One person makes a difference. It's always one person. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patty. It was such a delight. Oh my gosh, it was such a delight. I'm just excited to have you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you for visiting The Witching Hour.